Welcome to the podcast at The Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, Is Grace Found in the Old Testament? From our series, Soul Searching. If you have your Bible, I'm in 2 Samuel 9. And yes, I'm aware of the time, and I've got more to do today probably than you do because of this trunk or treat. So buckle up and we'll get there together, amen. 2 Samuel 9. I want to conclude our series, Soul Searching, questions about salvation today, with this one final question, is grace found in the Old Testament? We've covered a lot of ground the last few weeks. We've answered questions like, do good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell? Is Jesus really the only way to salvation? We've answered questions like, does God choose or do we choose about salvation? We learned the answer was yes on both sides, amen. Amen. We've talked about, can salvation ever be lost? We've talked about the answer, the question, can we know for sure that we are saved and born again? Can we have assurance of salvation? We've covered a lot of ground. This morning, we're going to tackle this question that I get asked often as a pastor. Pastor, I know that we find grace in the New Testament and the message of Jesus, but is the God of the Old Testament the same as the New Testament? Is there grace in the Old Testament, or is it just judgment and law back there and Grace and mercy now. Did God change across the New Testament line? Did Jesus change something about God? Well, I'm glad to report to you today, yes, there's grace all the way through the Bible. And no, God didn't ever change. Amen. And it was the God of the Old Testament that sent Jesus in the New Testament. Amen. Amen. He's the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can know Him and you can trust Him. And we're going to unpack that today. Amen. Glad to have you in the Lord's house. 2 Samuel 9. Welcome if you're watching us by live stream today. If you want to follow along with the notes of today's message, you can find them on the Bible app. Look under the live events and search for Forest Hill and you'll find us there. Amen. Amen. Great to have Richard and Beverly Davis back in God's house with us this morning. Amen. 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 Keep her in much prayer. Mac and Luana Caraway, good to see you all back in the Lord's house this morning again. Amen. In their place. Keep both of these in prayer, amen, as they walk through this journey. Let's lift them up to the Lord and keep them encouraged, amen. Happy Reformation Day. This is the Sunday that we celebrate 500 years ago when a guy named Martin Luther nailed a bunch of documents to a church door in Germany and started a movement that changed the world, amen. Brought back to front and center in the life of the church the centrality of the gospel of Jesus. I'm glad to be part of that people, amen that believe the gospel is central. Today, is grace in the Old Testament? Well, you better believe it is. It's there in at least three ways. Number one, there are promises. Say promises. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, God promised that He would not abandon us or leave us in our sin, but that He would rescue us. Right there in the same chapter with the fall is the first promise. Amen? He tells the woman, there will come from your line, from the seed of the woman, there will be a deliverer who will crush the serpent's head, though he bruises heel. Amen? And there are promises, and there are prophecies. Say prophecies. These predictions throughout the prophets in the Old Testament that tell us what to look for in the Messiah, who he will be, when he will arrive, where he will be born, what he will do when he gets here, so that they might recognize and spot him when he comes. Amen? But even more veiled in the Old Testament, there are pictures. Say pictures. There are these little stories where we find types and shadows, hints, foreshadowings of what Jesus will come and do. And one of my favorites is in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Hear the word of the Lord today. Now King David said, 
Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so they called him to David. And the king said, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Verse 3, Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. The king said, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Say Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came before David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants, you shall work the land for him. And he shall bring, you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall be at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. May God bless the reading of his word, and his people said, Amen. I want to give you three thoughts about this man, and why he is a picture of every Christian in the house this morning. Are you ready? Three thoughts before we go home today. Number one, the Bible tells us about Mephibosheth, he was royal but wounded. Say that with me. He was royal but wounded. He is the grandson of the first king of Israel. He is from a royal line. This boy had a heritage and he had a destiny. And yet something happened to him along the journey. He got wounded. He got damaged. He's royal by birth. He is part of this royal family line. Saul was his grandfather. Jonathan his father. He was in line for the throne. And yet he was crippled by a fall. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 4 and 4 that something happened to this young man when he was young. The Bible says Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. When he was five years old, the news came about Saul and Jonathan from Jezreel. Now what was the news? The news was that both Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. Fearing for the young child's life, the Bible continues, he says, And his nurse took him up and fled. She picked him up and ran with him. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Here's this young man who's royal but wounded. Say that with me. Royal but wounded. He comes from a royal line, but he's crippled by a fall. And this is what has happened to everyone in the room today. You and I are royal. We're made in the image and the likeness of God. The Bible says when God made man, he made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. 
That's you and me. We are the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, as C.S. Lewis says. You and I have a dignity that is enough to raise our head and a shame that is enough to lower it. Amen? We are the, we are the heirs of Adam and Eve, the, the, the prince and princess of the kingdom that God placed under him over everything. You and I, that's us, that's our story. Made in the image of God with a great heritage and a destiny, but crippled by a fall. Something happened to us back there in our history. Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they sinned against Him and when they did they fell and the human race fell with them and now all of us are born with the same problem that they had. We inherited a spiritual birth defect called sin and as soon as we get old enough and big enough we do what Adam and Eve did. We rebel against God. We reject His commandments. We ignore His word. We spurn His love and we go our own way and try to be the God of our own universe, the king of our own castle, the writer of our own story. We're just like that. We do the same thing that they did. And you know what? The same thing happens to us that happened to them. We end up making a train wreck out of everything. We wreck our lives and we wreck everything around us because sin has a way of doing that. Whenever David found Mephibosheth, he was living in Lodabar. Say that with me. He was living in Lodabar. Now why does that matter? Sometimes in the Bible, names are very significant. Lodabar is one of those names. Lo means no or not. And davar means word. No word. Not a word. What is he saying here? It's the word we use for nothing or nowhere. In other words, he lives in Nowheresville. And I want to tell you, sin will always land you in Nowheresville. Amen? If you live in sin, it will wreck your life and you'll end up living in Lodabar. You'll live in Nowheresville where there's nothing and there's no, there's no good thing around. But literally it means no word. I want to tell you, whenever you step away from God and you live in a place where there's no word from God in your life, you are indeed in pitiful shape because only God's word can sustain you and rescue you and guide you. You are hopeless without a word and he's living in a place called no word. Some of you have lived in a place where there was no word before, amen? No guiding word from God. Without a vision from God for my life, I throw off restraint and I perish. A telemarketer once called home one day and a little boy named Jimmy answered the phone and the telemarketer said, Jimmy, how old are you? Jimmy said, I'm four years old. He said, good, is your mama home? He said, yes, she is, but she's busy. He said, okay, what about your daddy? Jimmy, is your daddy home? Busy too. He said, well, I see, is there anybody else there? He said, yes, the police are here. He said, oh my, the police are there. He said, yes, and the firemen are here too. He said, Oh, really? The firemen are there? He said, well, may I speak with the firemen, please? He said, they're all busy. Jimmy, all those people are in your house, and I can't talk to any of them. And he said, what are they doing? And Jimmy whispered, they're looking for me. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And can I tell you that when it comes to God, we've all been Jimmy. <laughs> we've all been Mephibosheth. Hide. Why is he in Lodabar? He's hiding. That's why he's there. He's hiding. Who's he hiding from? He's hiding from the king. 
because Mephibosheth understood something that it was dangerous for him to get in the king's presence. You see, one of the things that every king normally did whenever they came to power is they wiped out the family line of the previous king so that they couldn't come back and claim the throne. And so Mephibosheth knew that he was a marked man. It was dangerous for him to be seen. If the king found out where he was, he could put a hit out on him. He could have him executed just because of the family that he came from. He understood that. And so Mephibosheth was afraid. He was hiding from the king. Sin always leaves you hiding. Say hiding. The Bible says that to us. All of us hide. Thankfully, sin doesn't have to be the last word on us. Sin leaves us hiding in a barren, desolate place scouring and hiding from God but that's not where his story ends and it doesn't have to be where our story ends either thankfully because he was pursued by the king say that with me pursued by the king the king comes after him number one he was sought by the king he sought him he sought him he went looking for him the Bible says in verse 1 is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God and like Mephibosheth, we've been sought out by God. We sang it this morning, didn't we? He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. I didn't go looking for God. God came looking for me. I didn't know where to look. In fact, even if I had, I wouldn't have went looking. Amen? Because we're hiding from God in our sin. God comes looking for us. He calls us and draws us into his kingdom and his family. He seeks us out. The Bible says the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Amen. It's not the lost sheep that finds the shepherd. It's the shepherd that finds the lost sheep. Amen. And Jesus seeks us out. He comes looking for us. He sought, was sought by the king. And number two, he was brought to the king. He sought him and he brought him. Say he brought him. He had him escorted against his will into the presence of the king. Now some of you have been escorted against your will a few places. Amen. It may have been by the police. It may have been by your mama. Amen. But all of us know what it's like to be brought somewhere against our will. We've all been there and it's not any fun. Mephibosheth is literally brought against his will into the presence of the king, into the throne room. And he is terrified. The Bible says, Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the king's been looking for you. Before we ever search for God, God was searching for us. That's called prevenient grace. The grace that goes before our conversion and our salvation. God has chased you down every dark alley and back corridor of your life to bring you into his presence. And you can run, but you can't hide forever. Eventually, you will have an encounter with the presence of God. God will close in on you. He will close every avenue. He will force you to come face to face with the truth of who he is. Amen. He sought him and he brought him into his presence. Eventually you must face God. Sooner or later, whether it's a hospital room or a jail cell, listening to a song on the radio, a preacher coming to visit you, a loved one who met Jesus, getting all up in your business about your life, you come face to face with Jesus. And he presents you with the claims of the gospel. We find ourselves in the presence of God. He was sought, he was brought, and he was caught in fear of the king. He's terrified. He's shaking in his boots. Well, he would have been if he wasn't lame. Amen? 
He's here in the presence of the king. And the Bible says he fell on his face and he prostrated himself. He lays out before the king, spread eagle. He knew that the king was likely calling him in order to destroy him and to wipe him out in order to secure his own family line and do away with the remainder of Saul's line. You see, he knew the stories of how Saul had mistreated David. How Saul had nearly killed David almost pinned him to the wall by throwing a spear at him. He knew how Saul had chased David around the backside of the wilderness and tried to take his life. And yet in the end, David ended up on the throne instead of either Saul or Jonathan. He knew those stories. He understood that. Surely David would seek revenge on Mephibosheth. But you see, what Mephibosheth didn't know was he didn't know the heart of the king. He didn't know the heart of David. He didn't know that David sought him out not to harm him, but to bless him. Amen. He didn't know that. In the same way, until we learn about the loving heart of God, we run and hide from him in fear of judgment. Like Adam, we hide behind the fig leaves of our own making. We hide behind the trees in the garden, our excuses. Like Isaiah, when we are brought into his presence, we fall on our knees and say, Woe is me, I am undone. I'm not ready to come into the presence of a holy God. My life isn't right. So our fearful hearts imagine that God's hunting us down in order to punish us severely for every bad thing we've ever done, for every sin we've ever committed. If you're hiding from God today because of fear of His punishment or His wrath, can I tell you today, if God wanted you, God knew where to find you. Amen? If God was out to get you, you'd already have been God. (laughs) He already would have closed in on you. All He has to do is not breathe out and you won't breathe in again. All He has to do is not grant it and your next heartbeat won't happen. Okay? So if He knows, if He wants you, He knows where to find you. Amen? If you're here today, it's not because God's angry at you. If you're not in hell today, it's because He loves you and He's merciful to you and He set His affection on you. That's the truth about who he is. That's the heart of the king. And so here he is, sought, brought, and caught. Here he is, pursued by the king, royal but wounded, pursued by the king. And finally this morning, he is saved by another man's merit. Say that with me. Saved by another man's merit. What Saul, what David, listen, what what Mephibosheth knew about was Saul. He knew about his grandfather. He knew that his grandfather had been an enemy of David. That he tried to kill David. He knew about that. What Mephibosheth didn't know about was the relationship between his daddy and the king. He said, who can I show the kindness of God for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan. What was the relationship? Jonathan was David's best friend. Jonathan swore a covenant to David. They took off their garments and exchanged clothing. And that was a way of saying, anything that I have belongs to you and anything you have belongs to me. We have swapped places with one another. There's been an exchange that took place. They made a covenant of friendship. And Mephibosheth knew about Saul, but he didn't know about Jonathan. He knew about how horrible his grandpa had been, but he didn't know about how gracious his daddy had been and how that Jonathan and David made a covenant of friendship. He's brought in and Mephibosheth was freed by favor. Say that with me. He was freed by favor. Verse 8, what is your servant that you'd look on such a dead dog as I, he said. Who who am I? Mephibosheth says. The Syrophoenician woman said the same thing. 
Jesus came and, and she's here begging for a miracle for her daughter. And she says, I know you can heal my daughter who's possessed of an evil spirit. And the Bible says Jesus looks and says to him, to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Now that was likely a racial slur in the day that Jesus lived in. The dogs were the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the people who didn't have a covenant. But she didn't let that put her off. She knew the heart of Jesus. And she said, I know I don't have a covenant. I know I don't have any right to ask you for this. I'm not asking because I deserve it. I'm asking because I know you're merciful. And she answered and said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus spun around and said, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. Go in peace. Your daughter is healed. And the evil spirit left her from that hour. She understood mercy. Say mercy. She understood mercy. Mephibosheth found out about mercy on this day. She had no covenant to claim, but she laid hold of the mercy of God. We know we're not worthy to be saved, but like her, we can plead the mercies of God. We're not rescued because we've been good. We're saved because He's good. Amen? He's good. He's better than we ever imagined He would be. Sent His Son to die for us in our place. Freed by favor. Number two, He was covered by a covenant. Say covered. He's freed and He's covered. He knew about Saul, but not about Jonathan. Chapter 9, verse 1, I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan's sake, he says. Though our ancestor Adam disobeyed, thank God there's a covenant that was made. Before Adam ever fell dead, in the before you and I were ever born, before you and I ever sinned and went away from God, there was a covenant made on our behalf. God the Father made a covenant with God the Son. And he said, I will die for their sin. I will rescue them from their bondage. And I will bring them back to God. A covenant was made before I ever messed up. Before I ever sinned, God had already planned. Calvary was not an afterthought. The cross was not a plan B. The cross was not a last ditch effort to keep something from happening that God didn't want to happen. The, God, the, the cross was God's plan all along. The Bible says in Revelation, He's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before he ever breathed life into a lump of dirt called Adam, God had already planned on Calvary. Amen. Isn't that good news? There's this great picture in the book of Genesis where Abraham it falls asleep. God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And so Abraham cuts the animals in half. Five is a number of grace. And Abraham is ready because the way you make a covenant is you walk through the blood and you make promises. But before Abraham can step his foot in and make any promises, the Bible says God called Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. And Abraham had a vision and he saw a smoking furnace pass through the blood and then he saw a burning lampstand pass through the blood. What's the point? God wasn't making a covenant with Abraham. That burning, that, that smoking furnace was God the Father passing through the blood going I will redeem them. I will bring them back. I will forgive their sin. I will break their chains. I will make them my people who've not been a people. And right behind him goes a burning lampstand, that light of the world, the Lord Jesus. And he walks through and says, and I'll pay the price for everything that you promised to do. I'll be wounded for their transgressions. I'll be bruised for their iniquities. I'll be chastised for their peace. And by my stripes they will be healed. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I've been covered by a covenant today. Not a covenant I made with God. A covenant the Father made with the Son. And Jesus bought on Calvary. It's a new covenant in His blood. He rescued us. 
Did you do anything to earn or deserve this? No, my name is Mephibosheth. I'm royal but wounded. I was sought out by the king and brought into his presence and he unloaded on my life grace and mercy and blessing and favor that I did not deserve. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God today. What did he do to him? Well, the Bible says he's freed and he's covered by covenant. And lastly, he's restored to royalty. Say restored. Not only did he not kill him, that would have been great, right? Just don't kill me, King David. That would have been good. But he did more than that. He not only forgave him, he not only covered him by a covenant, he restored everything he lost. David gave him an inheritance. Say an inheritance. He said, I'm going to give you everything back that belonged to your grandfather Saul. Aren't you thankful today? Everything we lost in Adam, we got back in Jesus. Amen? I am heirs of God and a joint heir with Christ. I have an inheritance in the saints today. Bible says that. He says that we walk in the inheritance of the saints of God in the light. Amen? Number two, he gave him a helper. Say a helper. He said, you've got a servant named Zeba here. And him and all of his sons and all of their servants are going to walk with you and take care of you. They're going to work in your fields. They're going to make sure that everything you have and all your family is taken care of. He gave him an inheritance and he gave him a helper. I'm so glad today. My name is Mephibosheth and God gave me a helper. His name wasn't Zeba though. His name was the Holy Ghost. And he sent him from heaven and he came to live in my life. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm God's own. And he leads me and guides me and he gives me the power to stand against temptation and he assures my heart that my sins are forgiven and that I'm right with God and that I belong to him I'm thankful I've got an inheritance and I've got a helper today amen and lastly he gave him an honored place say he gave him a place he said, Zeba, your sons are going to work the field and you're going to bring in the crop and that's going to be to take care of his family. But I'm going to take care of Mephibosheth. He's going to sit at my table like one of my sons and he's going to eat bread with the rest of my family. Oh, I'm thankful today. You see, God didn't just restore me and said, you can be my servant. God adopted me and said, you can be my son. Amen? Amen. We're no longer slaves to fear. We are the children of God. We are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God by faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table and was lame in both his feet. Say he was still lame. You know what? There are some things and some broken places in me that may remain after I'm restored. That's okay. You may still struggle with some insecurity. You may fight some temptations. There may be some voices in your head a fight not to listen to. It's a fight all the way home. I'm going to tell you that. You know what? But I want to tell you, even though you're broken, even though you've got some lame places, even though there's some dysfunctional spots in you that still don't work like everybody else's might work, it doesn't mean you're disqualified. It doesn't mean you can't make it. When you pull your chair up to the king's table, you look like everybody else and you're just as accepted as everybody else. There's grace at the table. You have a place at the king's table. I think about it every time we gather together around the Lord's table and pass out those little flat crackers and that little grape juice that we hope isn't fermented when you rip the top off. Amen? And we celebrate, I've got a seat at the king's table. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen?
Amen. I want to tell you today what a beautiful picture of salvation sought by the king's love, brought out of the wilderness into his presence, saved by mercy and the covenant between the Father and the Son, fully restored. I'm not perfect yet. I still have my scars, but I found my place at the king's table. And I've been invited and nobody else can make me leave. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand with me all over the Lord's house. God's looking for you today, not to destroy you, but to deliver you. And the question of the hour is this, will you receive the grace of Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're not part of the Mission of Hope group, but you are in a very similar place to many of the men who told their story today. Maybe you are part of the group and you're here, but you're not really here. Uh, you're in the program and you're in the choir, but you've never really made that personal step to say, I'm stepping across the line of faith and I'm taking Jesus for mine today. Maybe you're here and you need to make that decision, even though you're one of our guests today. Maybe you're here and you have hidden on church pews and pretended that everything's okay, but in your heart you know you're living in Lodabar, away from God, hiding from His presence, hoping you're not discovered, full of brokenness and sin. Jesus came looking for you today. I close with this story, and we're going to sing, and we're going to go. Years ago, in the quaint village of Argentina, a woman named Maria left her teenage daughter, Christina. One day, Christina hit her teenage years, and she'd had enough of the parochial life of her little village. And so she decided to strike out and try her fortune in the big capital city of Buenos Aires. So she made her way down there and decided she was going to live the good life, and she was going to party it up. Soon she ran out of all the money that she'd stolen from her mom's purse and she found herself in a pickle. She didn't know what she was going to do to live, how she would eat, where she would stay. You can imagine what happened. homeless and hungry, she turns to a life of which she was not proud in order to survive. And to numb the pain, someone introduced her to illegal drugs. After months of hoping and praying that her daughter would return, Maria strikes out for the big city in search of Christina. She purchased a round-trip bus ticket for that same day, and she searched all day long for her daughter. She went in and out of every hole in the red-light district that she could find. She never could quite spot her daughter. With only two hours left before the last bus was going back to her village, Maria had to make a choice. What will I do? What is my last option to try to find my daughter? And so Maria stepped into a little side shop where they made copies. If you've ever been to Latin America, there's little copy stores everywhere. You can step in and they'll make photocopies, and they do that for a living. She stepped into one of those booths, and she took her own picture out of her wallet, and she enlarged it, and she made as many copies as she had changed left in her purse. For the next hour and a half, she walked around Buenos Aires Red Light District with a roll of tape and a stack of pictures, and she taped her own picture up every place she could imagine. That night, Maria, after an especially rough evening, stumbled into a nightclub restroom. And as she closed the bathroom stall door and reached in her purse for a syringe to numb the pain of the evening, looked up and to her shock saw her own mother's face on the back of the bathroom stall. In disbelief, she took down the paper on the back of the paper was a note in her mother's handwriting. It had her phone number. And it said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, just please come home. And I want to tell you today that on every sunrise and on every little way that God has stumbled into your life,
from every Christian, from every song on the radio, every way God can, God is slapping His picture up in your life. And if you turn it over on the back, it would say, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, just come home. Just come home. You're royal, but you're wounded. You're crippled by a fall. You've made some choices that have kept you in Lodabar for way too long. But that's not who you are. That's not your destiny. And just because somebody drops you off there doesn't mean you have to take mail there. You don't have to stay there. Because the king has summoned you into his presence. He's invited you to salvation. God has called you into his family. He's given you an opportunity today to trust Jesus and to be saved. You can repent of your sin. You can turn your back on your old life. Pastor, I can't live it. That's not up to you. The Holy Ghost will help you live it. You've got to decide that you want it. And that you're willing to turn your back on your sin and trust Jesus. To come and to kneel. To give Him your heart. To ask Him to save you and rescue you. To come into your life. To be your Lord and your Savior. If you'll do that today, He'll meet you. And He'll rescue you. Are you here today? We've rejoiced and celebrated and shouted about the mercy of Jesus. But I dare not as a preacher... Let the day go by without giving you in the room a chance. Just on the off chance that you're here and you're not a Christian. The opportunity to walk an aisle, kneel before Jesus, and surrender your heart. What are we going to do? We're going to sing a song about our salvation. We're going to rejoice. That's what Christians do. We do this every Sunday. You carry on like this every week? You better believe we do. We're saved. We're rescued. We're delivered. Why would we not shout? But if you're here and you don't have anything to shout about, you can. And while we're singing and shouting, you come kneel. And somebody will meet you at this altar and introduce you to the one who can change everything about your life. Your name is Mephibosheth. You've been summoned. Are you coming? The altar's open. Father, in the name of Jesus, I love you and bless you. Thank you for the chance to preach the riches of Christ through a quaint little story in the Old Testament. Lord, I pray you bless our time together. And I pray that today if there's one in this room that is not right with God, that today would be the day they come and they kneel and they surrender everything. They stop hiding in fear that you're out to get them. And they understand that your heart is loving and merciful and you're here to rescue them and restore them to their destiny. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.